What's up, guys? It's David Hess from the Rising Above podcast. Have you ever thought or dreamed about starting a podcast? Well, look no further. Anchor has all the tools necessary to record a podcast from your computer or phone. You heard that right. They make it so simple. When you host your podcast on Anchor, they will distribute your podcast on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Honestly, it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place, which is why I host on Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. So broken, I couldn't think. My emotions were just crazy, going wild. And my thoughts were going wild. I was not in a good place at all. First person I called was my daughter. And she lives out in Virginia. And I don't know why I call her, because there was no way she was going to be able to come and be with me and help me. But I did. I called her first. And I wasn't on the phone with her for maybe three minutes. And I just hung up. Because I was bawling so much I couldn't even talk. And then um, I I called David right away, because he lives close. And uh, I tell you what, David was there for me. Um, I called and he was right there at the house. And um, I remember him asking me on the phone though, before he came over, he said, you're not gonna do anything stupid, are you? The voice you just heard is that of William Hess. William talks about what life was like growing up, from drinking at a young age to joining the military and getting married to realizing the relationship he was in for 30 years was a mistake. He also talks about what inspired him to do foster care. I hope you guys find his story inspiring and insightful. I'm your host, David Hess. This is Rising Above. Enjoy the show. Dad? I'm doing pretty well. Um, a little nervous. I've never been in a spotlight before <laughs> in my life with anything. So. But anyways, um, yeah, when I was a child growing up, um, back in the, I was born in 1966, and, you know, growing up in the 60s, 70s, into the 80s, um, my parents, they were both very young parents, um, and they didn't know what they were doing, they didn't know, um, anything about life really and they probably were the worst match um, of people getting married and um, there was a lot of domestic violence in my house constant fights all the time and um, it was uh, not a very good environment for children to be raised in it was a extremely hard on me um, and my sister um, and as I was growing up and going through all life's changes growing up um, I had myself I had a lot of problems a lot of issues um, because of the environment I grew up in um, started you know, I started drinking a lot when I was a teenager. And uh, 
and everything. Um, a friend of mine um, from school, his friend that he befriended me because um, I had a lot of problems at school and he did too. And so he wanted to befriend me and he did. And he witnessed to me um, about Jesus Christ and the love that he offers and provides. And that was all I needed to hear, that I was loved and cared about. And I've been searching for, for that. You know, it was, uh, I didn't feel I was getting it at home. And I didn't have very many friends. I was very reserved. Um, and so I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And his parents were always real good to me. They were like my fam second family. And had me um, going to church every week. They'd pick me up Sunday morning, take me to church. Um, they'd pick me up for Wednesday nights for... Um, youth group and made sure I was involved in youth group activities when they were having fun activities going on and stuff like that um, and they were a real blessing to me and helped me uh, through a lot of my life um, and uh, but I but after that I was I was about 12 years old actually uh, during that time, and I went to church from the time I was 12 to almost 16. When I started, that's when I started drinking a lot. And I didn't go to church much anymore. I had a lot more freedom because I bought my own car. I have a car, and I'm driving to school, driving to work. I'm not home a lot, and um, and I knew. Uh, so I got in the party life and stuff like that. Never got in trouble with it. Um, thank goodness. Because <laughs> it could have been terrible. And then I... Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> so at that point, you're, you stopped going to church and you're, you're partying right. quite often. Um, you're working. You're in high school, right? Yes. Um, I've <coughs> always had a job and did some kind of work to earn money since I was like 12 years old. And I worked on, uh, I started out mowing lawns. And then uh, I became like a lawn keeper for a retired doctor. And uh, he was a great guy. World War uh, One veteran, actually. And he was an Englishman. Uh, he decided to come to America after the war. But anyways, uh, he had a great influence on my life. And I worked for him for a couple of years. I worked for a farmer for a few years uh, in a strawberry patch. Started out picking strawberries. Bought my first bought my first car buying strawberries, actually. Or I'm picking strawberries. That's a lot of strawberries. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I bought a $1,000 car. And I got 25 cents a quart. Wow. So, yeah, I picked a whole lot of strawberries. That is a lot. 
Um, I was a hard worker, though. I always worked very hard, um, trying to earn my way through life. I knew I would never get the help I would need from my parents. So a lot of, a lot of kids had help from their parents to go to college or tech school or whatever, and I knew that was just not going to happen for me. And so I knew I had to work twice as hard as anybody else to make it. And then um, my senior year in high school, I had a co-op job. Um, so I, I went to school for like just a couple classes, I think, if I remember right. And then I had my co-op job. And after my, I do my co-op job for like four hours, go home and I go to bed, go to sleep. And then I had another job I worked third shift on and it was full time. And it was a, a gas station. And so I did that, and I did my homework while I was on that shift for school. And um, then i drive straight from work and go to school. And that was my Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends, I worked for OJ's car, OG car wash. Anyways, it was a car wash. So I worked there um, on the weekends. So I was going, finishing up my high school and working one full-time job, two part-time jobs. And my life has always been kind of like that. I was always working a lot. Um, well, then I eventually met someone um, I fell in love with. and got married and you know I had a started my own family had a daughter first and had a son and uh, just like my parents um, it was a horrible relationship um, but it wasn't bad yet it was at this point it wasn't bad it was, I mean we had our issues and stuff but worked through them, it wasn't that bad yet. And um, in my heart, I always wanted to do something to help kids that were disadvantaged, kids that needed help and had no way of getting it. And it was a passion of mine. And my wife at the time, she's now my ex-wife, Anyways, uh, she mentioned doing foster care. And I thought about that for probably about six months. And I, I decided, you know what? That would be perfect for me because I'd be able to help, help them be there for kids during their absolute worst time in their life when they're taken away from their parents because their parents can't take care of them. And... I really opened up my heart to that. I really wanted to do it. I'd be hands-on, you know, and I've always been more of a hands-on person, all-in kind of person, than somebody that's in the background um, just donating money or um, doing doing some uh, um, some sort volunteer work or whatever and um, so we started doing foster care 
and um, we had uh, our first case, a couple of boys, and uh, they were great. They were they were great boys. Um, they were taken from their mother, and we took them in, and it was hard at first um, because they don't know what to think. We don't know what to think, you know, first experience for all of us. So we had some toys they could play with and helped them interact in the house with our kids and that helped them some and they finally got used to the idea of being in our house it didn't take very long about you know a couple three days they were getting comfortable they knew they were in a safe place nobody was going to hurt them and um you know and eventually these kids get unfortunately get to the point where you know you can't handle me more and so they have to move on but in this case um one of the boys one of the brothers got adopted by an aunt and they're half brothers the aunt didn't want to adopt the other one and he got out of control where he had to move on to somebody else who could actually help him more than we could now and then we got a couple of girls in um, these sisters, and they were real sweet, real sweet girls, um, and their aunt, they haven't had an aunt, they eventually adopted them after the mom totally lost custody, and um, that was very successful, that was really good, um, and then we got these other two boys in our home. And they're, they're brothers, um, and they had two other siblings that were in two other foster homes. And, um, well, my son David, who's <laughs> sitting here with me right now, you know, um, one day, well, shortly after, um, Shortly after the rights of the, their mother were terminated because she she couldn't do it, um, David was asking me to adopt him. And, you know, I never thought about doing adoption myself. I always wanted to be there for these kids and help them in the worst time of their life, like I said before. And um, I didn't want to adopt because it would close my home. I wouldn't have room for any more kids. It would basically close my home so I couldn't help the kids no more. And um, it was a very, very hard decision for me to make. And um, there for a few days, he was like begging me to adopt him. And I felt so bad that, you know, he, because he really wanted to be a permanent in my family, and it wasn't what I was planning, so I was really struggling with this whole idea of adoption now. 
And then, you know what? I I um prayed to God about it and sincerely in my heart I felt that I need to do this. I need to give them a forever home. And so I said, yes, we'll adopt you. And then, um, so we did. And something was really different about this situation in my home. Because at this point, now my, within the first week of the adoption being final, my now ex-wife um, started turning um, on the kids, um, mostly David. Um, Joey, my son Joey, which is David's brother, um, yeah, we also adopted. He was like the golden child that couldn't do anything wrong. David all of a sudden became the child everything was blamed on. And there's four kids involved. I have two of my own. Um, I have David and Joey I adopted. No matter what happened in the house, it was David's fault. And as time went by, it just got worse and worse. Her behavior became so horribly bad that we had to, um, I had to call the police. And I'm stuck here in a situation thinking, great, I'm in a position where now I could lose all my kids to foster care. That was running through my head like crazy. And I didn't want that. I want my kids. So now I became like on the other end of the situation. Although that never happened. And... um, even though it, it very well could have, but it didn't. Um, so she got arrested, went to jail, and I went to the courthouse the next day, and um, I was there for her and um, helped her to get out, paid the bail and everything. And she was ordered by the judge to go to anger management classes, and which she did. And I always drove her there, drove her home. And, um, you know, she calmed down for a little bit, but it didn't last very long. And then she was back to it. And it was like a family secret. We kept it a secret because... I didn't know what else to do. I was convinced in my mind through my church that you don't divorce no matter what. You make it work. It's a man's job to hold the family together. And so I held on to those values um, real tight. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. you know, and I have so many regrets. Um concerning my life and the raising of my children and protecting them like I should have. Um, and I've expressed these um, 
thoughts and emotions with all my children and uh, you know thankfully they love me enough to forgive me um, for not protecting them as well as I should have but I did protect them I went to I went to battle for them every single day against that woman to protect them and I did protect them a lot um, every day but you know I have to work and I work always worked a lot of overtime I was always home every break I call home to see what was going on um, and if there was something bad going on I'd be talking to my ex-wife and telling her hey you gotta stop doing this do this instead and so on and so forth try and protect the kids while I'm at work and that every break I had for 10 years I I called her and called the kids and see if everything if it was going to be a good day or a bad day and if it was a bad day I had to try to take action over the phone whatever I could do that's and that's also hard now knowing you know as an adult uh working at GM when you're constantly doing repetitive motions all day long that's all you're thinking about just the same thoughts just keep circling in your head absolutely and it's it's hard to kind of deal with those situations when you're when you're at work you know so I couldn't even imagine being in that position as well yes it was uh very much um just like what you said and you know the whole time I'm at work every minute I'm at work that's all I'm thinking about is what's going on at home what can I do to help the kids while I'm here and um it was horrible it was it was really bad um and I don't want to go into too much detail because I'll just break down here we don't need to yeah but you know eventually um, she went off had an affair and moved in with another man and I don't have to worry about her no more so and and we're all better off for it yep. agreed <laughs> <laughs> so at some point um, as time went on closer to the the ending of me living at the house things got really bad and I kind of talked about it in the previous episode that's coming out tomorrow um, but uh, our relationship wasn't great at that point and uh you know unfortunately yeah but shortly thereafter like i'd say about a year after um you got me into gm and we started kind of building a relationship from there we you know would sit in the truck every night and just talk yeah and that was that's a good memory that i i have and i'll always keep those i really enjoyed those times so uh so now we you and i have a, a great relationship um, we have a strong relationship so yes yes we do um, unfortunately you know I was her behavior got so horribly bad David you know you you had to just do what you need to for yourself period 
and you were you were doing it you were doing what you had to do for yourself and at the time I didn't see it uh, I saw it as you being rebellious um, you're going against everything that we teach at the church you know and stuff and so I felt like I couldn't defend you anymore and so it, it got real bad and I I love you I loved you then just as much as I love you now but I, I guess I didn't have the thought process to understand what was going on with you until after after all that right but I commend you on you're a brave man you're very brave when you were a young 17 year old um, you moved out of the house got on your own and you did it you really did it and I'm very proud of you you did what you had to for yourself and um, I was I thought I'd never see you again but you know it was about a year later I see you in almost a year you started showing up a little bit at the house not a lot the first time you showed up I was ecstatic <laughs> I was like oh awesome <laughs> my son is coming back around oh I was so happy and then um, and then about a month later come around again and it kind of went like that and GM happened to be hiring and I was like you know what I'm gonna um, David's working really hard and he he needs something better the uh, first thing I thought of is getting um, a referral for for David my son and um, try to get him in a General Motors I remember when you first approached me about that out you're like you know I don't know if you'd be interested in uh, accepting a, a referral and I I was like no I don't I don't want to because mainly mainly at that time again I, I knew that I wanted to do life my way and I wanted to find my own path I didn't I didn't want help from from you or anybody because I hadn't taken any handouts and so I originally I said no I don't know if you remember that it was like in the summertime I don't I don't remember that at all so I said no and then I think a couple months later you you approached me about it again and I was like I'll think about it and then eventually we decided to sit down and put in the referral together but that was and that was life-changing for me that that moment and I'm glad I did it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome I'm glad I was able to help you help you get your life better yeah and where you didn't have to work as hard as you were because I've been there I know yeah I was I was struggling to just make it you know <laughs> all this is hard to unpack and kind of talk <laughs> about it is but but it's good yeah um so let's kind of go back a little bit and talk about you said you were you were drinking when you were 12 yeah I started <laughs> drinking um, a little bit when I was 12 years old 
And do you think you kind of got into that to escape what was going on in your household? Um, at the time, when I was 12, no, it was more like... Um, you just want to have fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, what really started me was my dad. Like, at Christmas time, when I was 12 years old, Christmas came up, and he said, Hey, you want to have a drink? And I'm like really <laughs> um yeah sure you know what 12 year old don't want to have a drink with his dad i think that's really cool right you know so i did that and my mom was mad as a wet hornet um not at me but my dad <laughs> for doing that and then new year's came new year's eve came up same thing did it again it was uh so i and then kind of every year after that, around that time of year, my dad would do this. And she'd get really mad. But I didn't start really drinking until, I guess I might have been 15. I think it might have been 15 when I started drinking more. I had friends that were older than me, like just a year older, but in the same grade. I had a driver's license. They come out, pick me up, and we get some alcohol, and we go, we go drinking, being stupid, and stuff like that. And um, so, so, so you started drinking heavily when you were 15. How long did that last for? Um, well, it was like a weekend drinking kind oh, of thing. Okay, you know. It wasn't during the week because of school and right, right. stuff. Because um, I know at, at some point you decided that you weren't going to drink anymore and you hadn't had a drink in a very long time. Yeah, that was, um, I was 26, well, actually, let's go back to where I was in the Army. When I was in the Army, um, I that's when I was really drinking heavily, but it was only still on weekends. And I had to be good for my job, good for the PT in the morning and everything else that entailed in being in the Army. But yeah, like Friday night, I uh, Jim Beam was my drink back then. It was cheap, really cheap whiskey. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd drink a fifth Friday night, no one Saturday night. Wow. Yeah, I'd be breathing that fire through Wednesday. <laughs> Uh, I hated PT <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> Probably more to do because of the effect that drinking had on me than right. anything else. Um, and my my ex-wife, her father-in-law was an alcoholic. And um, if I had a day off work, we would go over to his place and uh, I'd drink with him. A lot of times I just get get drunk with him and I sleep on the couch there and my wife would take the kids home because um, you know the kids had to go to bed and my father-in-law and I are staying up late drinking. Did that quite a bit, um, stuff like that. A lot of times I went home with my wife after drinking with her dad. And so, 
I think I was like 26 and I decided that at that time I wanted to dedicate myself to God again like I I mean I was going to church here and there but I didn't really didn't really care I was going because um, my wife wanted me to and then it was good for the kids to see their dad going to church but I didn't really care about it but then I something changed in me and I decided that you know what I need to go to church I need to read my Bible I need to become more dedicated to God and I thought I gotta quit drinking so I did I quit drinking right away went cold turkey and never missed it um, to, to my father-in-law was a most worthless man in the world because I'm not his drinking buddy no more. It made him mad. And, that's, know, the un- that's the unfortunate part about making decisions like that. When you decide to quit drinking or doing drugs and hanging around the people that you did that with, they oftentimes, you know, shun you for it and they kind of look at it as like a personal attack on them. Yeah, especially if it's a family member, you know, like your father-in-law or even your own parents, it can happen too, or whatever, um, or even siblings. Um, that hurts you the most when it's family. But no matter who it is that's shunning you because your life is changing for the better, then so be it. You're so much better off without them if that's the case. Right. You don't need that kind of people in your life, period, no, if they're family or not. So, yeah, so then I started being more dedicated to church. Um, so it works seven days a week. I get one Sunday off a month. But I go to church like Sunday night if I couldn't make it Sunday morning. or Because the shift I was on, I might be on third shift. Spend a lot of time on third shift. And I go to church after I got out of work. Go home, get cleaned up, go to church with the family, and go home, go to bed. Um, you know, stuff like that. And I really love loved reading the Bible. I really loved hearing the preaching and helping me better my life. But it's like a two-edged sword. Two-edged sword. Because there's a, a lot of things the churches teach that isn't necessarily biblical. Uh, they just add extra rules to living which aren't actually in the Bible. You know, and so you, the pendulum can swing too far the other way. Could you kind of give it an example or two? An example, like, um, well, my favorite example is what I experience is in every church I've been to, of course, I've always been to churches that were very conservative, and there's nothing wrong with them. Most of them teach the Bible very well, they just get a few things wrong, like the issues of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Um, but the divorce one's a really big one in uh, fundamental churches. And they, you're taught that no matter what's going on at home, no matter how your spouse is, you're supposed to stay married. And you're supposed to, and it's a man's job, to make it work. 
It's always his job. If it fails, it all falls on the shoulders of of the man in the house. And so it's like the um, the wife can do act however they want, do whatever they want, and that's fine. But that man better make sure there's, they stay together. And and that's wrong. That's completely wrong. There is actually a, a few um, good reasons, biblical reasons, could, to get divorced. And uh, I don't have the Bible verses in front of me or anything like that right now. But one of them is um, if your spouse is having relations with another person outside the marriage, that's definitely okay to get divorced. And not only get divorced, but move on in life, find another spouse, and get remarried. That's okay in the Bible. But you'll hear all kinds of people calling that blasphemy, that's not right. Uh, the Bible don't teach that, but it does. They misinterpret verses in the Bible or ignore verses in the Bible to fit their idea how it should be. I, from Kind of from your experience, it seemed like they they kind of wanted to paint this perfect scenario where you're always supposed to stay married and if you do get divorced then you're not supposed to show that you're happy again so I, re I remember for instance you started dating and you brought your now wife to to church and the pastor had told you to pretty much stop coming because you made dating look fun or you made divorce look fun rather and you know in reality he didn't he didn't really know what you had really gone through you know he just he cared about the image of the church more yes um that did happen but um not until he warned me not to get remarried and um you know and so he said it was okay for me for me to meet some ladies but he didn't say but he was like, can't get remarried. And I don't know what he meant by that. Am I supposed to um, live in sin or something? I don't know. But anyways, um, yeah, it made me feel like I'm supposed to be lonely and miserable the rest of my life because I chose the wrong person to get married to. And when he found out I got married, um, he came over to my house and asked me, to leave the church and he wanted me to lie about it he wanted me to blame it on my new wife that she didn't want to go to my church which was which was true also but that's not why I was leaving the church she knew how much it was important to me I've gone there for like 19 years and they and had close friends there and I, I already lost so much, I didn't want to lose anymore, and she understood that, so she was willing to to go to church with me. Um, but he's the one that told me to not go to church, to their church. And, um, you know, and ever since then, I've tried different churches and gone to different churches, never felt, 
I haven't felt comfortable in church since. I mean, and you know, even if I find a church, I don't know how involved I'll get in the church. Like before, I was, um, I've been a deacon. I've been a Sunday, I was a Sunday school teacher for a lot of years. Sunday school superintendent, assistant superintendent. Did a lot of things. Always active in the church, but I probably won't get active in a church again. I don't think I can build real close relationships with people in a church again because um, many of the things that happened during my divorce, leading up to the divorce, after the divorce and everything, um, come to find out my ex-wife was assassinating my character for at least a year that I know of, I think probably closer to two years. and. Um, all these people behind my back are talking about me and and it makes sense now that I can look back as hindsight's 2020 and I remember the last couple of years I went to that church um, even my closest friends were starting to be a little different around me and I didn't understand it at the time I didn't catch it I'm I'm not real good at picking up hints or anything from anybody I mean, I'm a straightforward person. You tell me, and I'll get it. But you just want to be passive-aggressive. I'm not going to catch that. And so, um, so now, not only did I lose my wife to another man who I was supposed to hold our marriage um, together, no matter what, and putting up with all the abusive behaviors of her in order to keep the marriage together and watching my children get hurt and um, all that, it, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it at all. I should have, when she went to jail, I should have got a PPO and should have filed for divorce the next day. Uh, so she couldn't, couldn't come home and hurt us no more. But hindsight, you know. So let's kind of talk about that period in your life when you were going through your divorce. Um, I remember you were kind of, um, str you were struggling emotionally, obviously. Uh, you guys had been married for 30 years, right? Yes. And so you pretty much had to kind of learn how to do everything on your own again because she was the one who did all the bills. She did all the bills and handled all the money, and you essentially had to kind of just learn how to do everything on your own. And I think through all of that, it's made you a, a stronger person uh, emotionally and, uh, and just in your life in general. Yes, um, of course, I always knew how to do all those things you know, how to cook, how to do laundry, how to, you know, do all the household things. And, but I never got involved in it much because she was a stay-at-home mom and she didn't have to work. So she took care of that stuff. Um, and, but, but it was a shock having her just disappear on me. And I'm all of a sudden a single father is we have um, a son that 
uh, special needs and he he's a lot to handle and she left him too she didn't want to take him take her take my son my little son with with her um david's brother um of course not because the you know the the boyfriend wouldn't want him around so she left him with me and which i was i had a at the same time i'm dealing with all my hate i mean hurt not hate <laughs> i mean dealing with all my hurt and it was just a real blow to me about how everything happened. Everything I stuck through the marriage for, then this happened. And um, it was extremely difficult, very difficult. Um, but I did it. I took care of my I took care of my son very well. I cooked healthy meals for us. I wasn't cooking out of a box or going to fast food. I was cooking good, healthy meals for us every day. I was cleaning the house, doing the laundry, doing the dishes, doing everything. Everything his his mom did, I did, plus working overtime I worked. And if I was lucky, I had an hour to sit down and relax before I went to bed. Um, that was at first. Then I learned how to organize myself a little better. And pretty soon I'm having two hours before bed that I can kind of relax and and it kind of went like that and then it got to where it was natural and I was having a lot more time it took a lot for me to get there but um, the initial shock was extremely hard of course being married for 30 years finding out that she just decided to move out with another man on Thanksgiving yeah, on Thanksgiving of all, th all times during a holiday. And um, I was just totally broken. I couldn't even process what had happened. Um, I woke up. And she snuck out in the night because I'm, I'm basically deaf without my hearing aids. So she waited till I was asleep, and that's when she left. I woke up the next day and she was gone. I couldn't find her anywhere in the house. I was calling her phone, but I already knew at this time she was having an affair. I was trying to save the marriage still. Because that's what you were supposed to do as right. the man. Right. Yep. And, um, but anyways, I was so broken I couldn't think my emotions were just crazy going wild and my thoughts were going wild I was not in a good place at all first person I called was my daughter and she lives out in Virginia and I don't know why I called her because there was no way she was going to be able to come and be with me and help me but I did but then I called her first and I wasn't on the phone with her for uh, maybe three minutes. And I just hung up. Was, uh, I was bawling so much I couldn't even talk. And then um, I, I called David right away because he lives close. And uh, I tell you what, David was there for me. Um, I called and he was right there at the house. 
And um, I remember him asking me on the phone, though, before he came over, he said, you're not going to do anything stupid, are you? And I said, I don't want to. I don't want to. But at the same time, I don't want to say, um, I don't want to say I was thinking about it either. When, obviously, I kind of was. And so... Um, David was there for me, and then, um, sorry, there's a problem with the cameras, okay, to, uh, switch this camera onto you, okay, <laughs> all right, we're good, um, and David was there for me, like, nobody has been there for me in my whole life. And David really is, he's, humanly speaking, he's my rock. If there's anything I need, he's there. If I need help with anything, he's there. Um, he, I can't tell you how much I, how much it meant to me for you to be there for me that day. But it just amazes me how you're still there for me today if I need you. You're you're always there every time. And without question. And I try not to abuse that. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best not to. <laughs> but if you if you didn't show up when you did that day um you know, I may not be here today. That's for sure. Well, I'm I'm glad you are. <laughs> and I'm glad I was able to show up in the, just in the nick of time. Um, yeah, me too. So now kind of looking back at everything and looking forward, what, what does life look like for you? What are some goals? And uh, you obviously had a passion to help, help children back then. Um, what what's next you know i really don't know yet um i'm still pretty mixed up about what happened to me losing my first wife the way it did um losing my church um and i haven't thought much about what my future would be except i am focusing on retirement I'm trying to save and put away as much money as I can for retirement because I want to take care of my my wife Sherry. I want to take care of her take care of her the best I can into retirement, and I want to be able to have money saved so I can travel to see my grandkids. You know that's and of course her grandkids too. <laughs> <laughs> They're your grandkids, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're all all of our grandkids now. Right. But um, my greatest fear in retirement is uh, run low on money or run out of money so I won't be able to do those things and see my family the way I want to see them and travel to see them. Um, as far as goals for helping children. I still have a passion for them, but 
I think my time is done with that. Um, you know, after you moved out and got on your own, we started doing foster care again. And we had uh, about two or three cases come through our home. And the last case, I, w I didn't even want because I thought she would be a little different after learning some things after what we've been through with foster care, but she didn't. She she would favor one and hate on the other. And I, I was like, we can't have this. We're not doing foster care no more. In the last case we had, um, I told them I want them removed. I want the kids removed. Wow. And it had nothing to do with the kids. It was, you know, we had some really good kids too. I mean, this one child we had, I remember, you're not supposed to have favorites, right? But this one was my favorite. And he was just the cutest little boy, the most loving little boy you could imagine. And um, he always aimed to please. He really, lo he really loved being loved, and I loved him dearly. I would have. If I was younger at the time, I would have adopted him too. Um, you know, took him ice fishing. He was only um, four years old, five years old. I think five maybe. I took him ice fishing with me, and he had a blast. Got his first fish. He'd never been fishing before at all, period. First time he went was ice fishing wow. and caught a fish. I never seen a kid so happy. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, those days are gone. I had to finally quit foster care because my my ex ex just couldn't hold herself together, and I didn't want any more kids getting getting in that position of of her hurting them. She wouldn't hurt them physically, but she was very very emotionally abusive and um, mentally abusive to them. And I just couldn't do it no more. And um, now that I'm older, I'm 55 now, and uh, I've raised four children. Well, two children I raised from babies. The other two children I raised from adoption. And I helped a lot of kids on their, on their life travels and worst times of their life. And I, th I think I'm done raising kids. I just... <laughs> I think I'm worn. I think I'm tired. I think I, I think I did my job, and I, regardless of how bad things were at home, back even back then, I believe I did the absolute best I could. I strived every day to do the absolutely best I could with the situation I was in. And so. Um, I don't have any regrets doing foster care or adopting, have my own children and raising them and everything. I only regret the person I chose to do it with. And, well, that's all in the past. And I have a better life now. I have a closer relationship with all four of my kids than I ever have. And I, all I can do is uh, give God the praise for that. Because all through him, if it wasn't for him, I don't think I'd have the love I have now for my kids. So, 
I think that kind of sums it all up for us. Um, but real quick, I think um, I think I'd like to ask you if if there's anybody that's kind of in the situation that you were in at any point through your life, uh, looking back, would there be any advice you'd want to give real quick? I would tell them that if they're in a situation that's abusive and you have children and the church is telling you that you have to make it work, I say no. I say you are stronger than you think you are. And you have the inner strength, not from only yourself, but mostly from God. God will give you the strength to get through it. But you get that person out of your life, whether you leave them or you kick them out, you do whatever it takes to get them out of your life. And you protect those children, and you will never have the regrets I have. You... um Life won't be easy, it'll be hard, but it won't be as hard as sticking it out in an abusive relationship like that. That's for sure. Um, you will always have family and friends to depend on. If you don't, There are some people I know and understand that don't have family that would help them for anything. But usually in those situations you have friends that will help you. So you just get away from that abusive relationship no matter what it takes or what the cost because the rewards will be much greater in the future. Well, my camera just died on me again. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on, Dad. It's been real nice hearing your story, and uh, I hope that your story can be an inspiration to others, and I think we'll end it there. Okay. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome.